Welcome to the Pemberley Podcast, where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations. I'm Jillian. I'm Yolanda. Let's dive in with a quote from Jane Austen's unfinished novel, Sanditon. Broken hearts, unrequited love, and inconsolable misery are subjects which, most fortunately, I have only ever read in books. The same cannot be said, though, for the characters in the PBS adaptation, which we will be discussing today. Not at all. For those of you who are carrying season two freshly in your minds, it was a sad ending. It was. It made me (laughs) sad. There was a lot of heartbreak, which has been a theme with this show, is leaving us on heartbreak. We're hoping we're not going to be left on heartbreak. No, especially for our heroine, Charlotte Haywood. She just keeps getting left by her uh, romantic suitor, At the end of each season, she's getting rejected. Yeah. And I'm sick of it. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Charlotte. Previously, when we've discussed this show and other shows, we tend to recap the whole episode. But going forward, we really want to focus on the big events of the show and what are the core themes and what are the core characters that really stand out to us. I like this new format that we're working out because Sanditon can be very Game of Thronesy in that there's a lot of characters. A lot. <laughs> and I mean, we really switch between storylines five different times over the course of an episode. And so it's nice because usually there's a big event in the episodes. Everybody's there and we can just kind of talk about what's happening with them. Exactly. For this episode, we're going to be diving into the third and final season of Sanditon, beginning with season three, episode one. We'll talk about Charlotte Haywood's engagement, the Colburns' return to Sanditon, and the proposition between Georgiana and a duke. We'll also talk about the rules of a very interesting game we see played in the show, which is called Snapdragon. Also discuss how much is Georgiana's fortune actually worth in today's US dollars. A quick recap of where we left things in season two. Charlotte Haywood worked as a governess for the Colburn family and grew close to Alexander Colburn, but he would not commit to her, leaving her brokenhearted, and she ran into the arms of her childhood friend, which is exactly the match her father wanted for her. A local farm boy. Lovely boy. Lovely. (laughs) Doesn't read. (laughs) Um, Doesn't know a whole lot, but he does. You know what he does? He has eyes for Charlotte. He does. He wants He wants to commit to her. He doesn't find it this chore, this, this baggage to love her. He just, he likes what he sees and he wants her. And I cannot discount him for that. Yeah. We're also back with Georgiana Lamb, who is the heiress to a great fortune left to her by her late father, who was... Being seduced was being pursued all of last season by what we thought was a handsome artist named Charles Lockhart, but who turned out to be a devious, distant cousin who is completely after her fortune and tried to uh, fight the courts in Antigua for that fortune and uh, did not succeed. But have we seen the last of him? Another big thing we've discovered is that her mother is alive and she wants to take it upon herself to look for her. So we left on some very big cliffhangers. What is the fate of our two big heroines, really, of this series? And and how are they going to end up? So let's start with Charlotte's engagement. Charlotte is returning to Sanditon with her fiancé, Ralph Starling. 
nice young man. And she's only in town for a couple days. She's in town for Georgiana's 21st birthday. It's going to be a big, nice event. And so she's going to see all her friends from the town, but then she's going to go back and she's going to get married. That's the intention. The weird thing about this is I will stand up for Ralph in this regard because Sydney Parker, our love interest from season one, tall, handsome, rich, arrogant, perfection, right? <laughs> like perfect morally gray love interest. We cannot deny. And that's, that really is kind of his role the first half of the season. And of course, he, in true Jane Austen verse fashion, he softens and, and we learn the kinds of things that he does for other people and, and how he tries to use his status to take care of people who can't necessarily fend for themselves. And then at the end of the season, life happened and he had to marry a rich heiress to help pay for part of Sanditon that had burned down. That would be something. But then in the final episode, Charlotte's taking her carriage ride home. We see Sydney chasing her and we're like, oh my God, this is it. We're, we're, we're going to get the ending exactly like we wanted. It's, mm-hmm. He's going to throw it out the window. No, he just catches up to her and is like, I'm so sorry. sorry. <laughs> like, I didn't, I don't want this either, but like, I have to do my duty. Yeah. It is kind of nice to at least in this season have some consistency with Mr. Colburn. So he was our... Again, sort of morally gray, not morally gray, but just kind of like gloomy and gray love interest who is taking care of his orphaned niece, who's like Augusta Markham, who's like 16 years old, and his young daughter, Leo. You know, he's just doing his best as a single dad. Me personally, I think Charlotte's role last season was very The Sound of Music. That is not a complaint, but it is true. (laughs) Yeah, she was the one who came in and... They were very resistant to her at first, but over time they warmed up to her. And I feel like especially little Leonora sees her as a mother figure. She's like, that could have been my mom. So it's especially interesting when Charlotte is out about town with the Parkers and she runs into the Colburn kids. And for these girls, like... They're so excited to see her. And Leo's like, so you're going to be our governess again? And she has all the hope in her eyes. And it's really difficult for Charlotte to look at her face and be like, no. (laughs) And, you know, it's like, it's it's interesting because also in that moment, obviously they knew something was growing between Charlotte and Colburn. They knew like they could see it. But Charlotte fails to mention the fact here that she is engaged. She does not tell them, I'm going back to Sanditon to get married. So in their minds, they're like, wait, there's still hope. So this is where Augusta is really going to begin to conspire to find a way to reunite her uncle Alexander and Charlotte. So does this present a love triangle for this season where we have Ralph Starling, the very sensible choice and the the choice that makes sense for Charlotte to, to go home, be in her town, Or you have Alexander Colburn, who may still be of interest. And granted, Charlotte and Alexander have not seen each other since she left being a governess. It's a really tough one because each guy sort of presents a different door to a different life for Charlotte. The funny thing is, is as nice of a guy as Ralph is, it's a really expected life. It's it's kind of, when we first met Charlotte in the first season, she really, it was like Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Like she wanted adventure. She wasn't even looking for a husband. She's like, I just, I've never been out. I'm the oldest of 11 kids. I just want to like have my own meal and not have kids (laughs) on my plate. And, And she's grown so 
so much and she's become so much more worldly. And I, I think it's really that worldliness that's worn her down and has made her say, like Colburn is the guy who made her realize, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I can't keep pursuing this big life that's just gonna let me down. Like I've tried and I think it's just not for me. It's for other people. I think in a way it's kind of embarrassing for her to Mm. tell people that she's engaged to Starling because it's like saying, hey, I'm giving up. We're gonna have like kind of a house and a farm and some kids (laughs) and like, I'll see you guys like once a year maybe. Yeah. And nothing wrong with that. I mean, Mm -hmm. it is very much the Charlotte Lucas choice, right? It is the very practical choice. So she's living up to her name as a Charlotte as far as like matching the Pride and Prejudice character and now this Sanitan character that the writers have evolved her to be. Um, You know, season one, we saw her to be a very spirited young woman, but she was broken down by heartbreak season after season. And she, she has in a way been like, I'm done. I'm done with love. As many characters we've seen in Regency adaptations, they reach this breaking point where they're like, that's it. I can't deal with these emotions. I'm just going to go with a practical choice. The path that makes sense. I just want to be settled, establish my home and move on. And that's it. I mean, these other heroines didn't have two consecutive seasons. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's really hard. And I really feel for her because it's like she, she still, I think, wants this big life and she wants, and now she's made real friends. I think deep down she does want that, but I think she's afraid to want it. She can't take the heartbreak anymore. Yeah. And I, I don't blame her. So, so thus we're presented with our other door, which is Colburn. He, isn't cold, but he can be cold. And he he's also as broken as she is. He's even more broken down by life. I mean, we, we learned more about his situation last season. His wife was seeing someone else while they were married because he would not give her the love that she really needed. And it's and like when she died in childbirth with Leonora, like it's killed him ever since. And so, you know, yada, yada, Captain Von Trapp of him. End of last season, he shoved Charlotte away because he couldn't stand the idea of loving. He, I think he couldn't stand the idea of her realizing he's not worthy of her. Right. And but I mean, in so many ways, she also helped him to realize like, you're pushing me away, but you've are, you're already doing it to your kid yeah. and to your niece. Like you are actively doing that. So in a way, like he, he woke up to that, but he's like still closed off to the love part of it. So He's progressing as a father, but now he's like coming back to Sanditon. They were in Bath. They were like, they went away. He was like, I need to get away from Charlotte, away from my feelings. And now they're all back. Yeah, wouldn't you know? He came back from his trip and his life was right where he had left. Yes, yes. (laughs) And the distance did nothing to uh, make him feel better about it. When he hears that Charlotte is engaged to Ralph, he's probably a small part of him is like, good for her. You know what? She deserves someone who's worthy of her. But I do think there's a much bigger part of that pie chart of just pure anger and jealousy and like, yeah. hey, like, she doesn't love this guy. Like, what what can this guy give her that I don't? And, and he's kind of realizing he's got competition. And sometimes that's what these men need, you know? It's just <laughs> what they need. <laughs> Let's dive in with the history fact behind a game we see played at the beginning of this episode. Charlotte and Ralph are with the Parkers, and they're all playing a very lively game of Snapdragon, which is a game that involves fire. 
It was a game that was played between the 16th and 19th century. What we see in the scene is a small bowl on fire and Charlotte Haywood is reaching in trying to grab something and Ralph does the same but not as successfully and he gets burned and basically he's not as good at the game. <laughs> it was a game that was more commonly played in the winter on Christmas Eve by children. This was a Christmas tradition. This was a Christmas children's game. Yes. Reaching into a bowl of fire. To be like, let's play Snapdragon. The game involved having a shallow bowl placed in the middle of the table with brandy lit aflame and raisins were thrown in. So you would have to try to reach in, take out a raisin. So in the show, they only show them taking it out and placing it on the, on the table. The actual game is you would take it out, toss it into your mouth because you were like a little dragon. You would have to snuff out the flame by putting the raisin on fire in your mouth. My jaw is on the floor. Like <laughs> Yolanda can see it and you guys can, but I'm just, it, it couldn't be me. You know, this game could not be for me. You know, I like, we've played some games on this podcast over the years and they've been great and none of them have involved fire. Right. And I didn't even realize until now that that was my favorite part of the game. Yes. <laughs> so besides raisins, they could also use figs grapes, almonds, plums, and in one article I read that the person who would take out the most snapdragons would meet to their true love in a year. So this is also likely why it was mainly a children's game or young young person's game, uh, because then you're like, oh, I'm gonna meet my true love in the next year. So as you can imagine, the game was phased out over time because kids would burn their hands and mouths. So it was not a very ga safe game. As Jillian mentioned, we've played a lot of these games or, or different things we've participated, and we will not be demonstrating this game on social media. Holidays for over 300 years when it sounds like a dangerous TikTok trend where like this to me is on par with Tide Pods where I'm just like how how did one person let this happen in their household probably with their thatched roofs <laughs> and then was like yeah let's do this every single year before fire hydrants or anything like that. That's a great idea. So that's why it was phased out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just a little bit of the history behind Snapdragon. So now let's dive back into some of the families of this episode, the Colburns, the Denims, and a new family that has moved into Saniton, the Montrose family. So the Colburns have returned from Bath. Their house is getting reset and everything is back to the way it was. We mentioned previously, Augusta is going to be running her own little scheme of trying to reunite her uncle and Charlotte. Though while she's in town, Augusta also runs into Edward Denham, who is on his own journey, is on his own path to rehabilitation as run by Lady Denham. She is the one who's trying to make him a respectable gentleman and she does not think it is possible, but she is going to keep trying. And Edward has been doing this rehab program of sorts in order for Lady Denham to agree to give him money again. So that's why he's like, I need money and I want independence again. When he runs into Augusta, it is very innocent at first, but then he does later find out that she is set to to inherit a small fortune. So it would benefit him to pursue her and marry her because then he could have that money and he could be independent without relying on Lady Denham. Let's talk about Edward and his rehabilitation program for a second because our first glimpse at what the Denhams are up to is what looks like a very primitive fire hose situation. Yes. And he is shirtless in the backyard getting hosed down by the German doctor that Lady Denim trusts with her whole heart. He's like getting, it's just like a, 
oh, cleansing. You, yeah, it's like, oh, you can't think in pure thoughts if you're getting sprayed with cold water you at high think of, volumes. Yeah, you can't think of anything with that going on. So, like, it, it's just this, you know, we call it a program because Lady Denim and her German psychiatrist slash doctor person. I mean, this is back in the day where, like, if you were a small town, you just kind of had whatever was available to you. And so they're just sort of thinking, oh, you need to cleanse your mind with things like icy cold water and chores and, you know, maybe some reading of certain books, but also they're looking to spiritually cleanse him. So he's also working with the local reverend vicar person to cleanse his soul. It doesn't seem like Edward has good intentions. I don't think he ever will. So he's on this path and we'll see where he ends up. But then a new family has moved into town. These are the Montrose family and they have their own bit of scandal that they are trying to run from and hide from all the good people of Sanditon. We don't know exactly the details of the scandal or what happened exactly, we do know that they do not have money. So the purpose for them coming to here is to have the eldest son, the Duke, marry someone very wealthy and get the dowry and and be able to provide for them. And also there's uh, Lydia Montrose, the daughter wouldn't hurt if she also gets married and, and so she could be set. Something that I really do admire about this family is the mom is putting equal pressure on the son and daughter to find a rich spouse. And it's not just the daughter, which is what it usually is. Yeah, I think, well, he would need to get married first so then he gains a dowry gains the money and then they can use that money to provide a dowry for Lydia. Sure. So I think that's why the pressure is more on the Duke Mm -hmm. to get married first and then Lydia can very, very quickly follow. (laughs) And the reason that Lady Montrose has specifically zeroed in on Georgiana is because it is known that she is inheriting a large fortune. They even know how much. So I'm like, that was public information? I guess like everyone just talked about their money and how much they were making. I mean, think about Pride and prejudice we know the minute we meet darcy and bingley how much you know we've got our five thousand a year ten thousand a year so we hear lady montrose say that georgiana is to inherit a fortune of one hundred thousand pounds so let's do a quick segment of pounds to dollars This season takes place in the summer of 1821, which 100,000 pounds in 1821 today would be 8.6 million pounds or 10.6 million US dollars. So Georgiana is very, very rich. We see her at the beginning of, of the episode signing the agreement to gain her inheritance. So something about, you know, young people inheriting their money when they came of age. There wasn't like a set, you know, like here or nowadays where you turn 18 and you're an adult. Every, I think, family, like rich family set the age that the young person would come of age and then that's when they would inherit everything and they wouldn't be beholden to anyone. So that's what happens to Georgiana at 21. And we're so happy for her that she's got her fortune now. I mean, the whole reason she came to Sanditon was because... Sydney was basically taking care of her and overseeing the fortune until she could inherit it. So let's talk about our final event of the episode, which is Georgiana's 21st birthday. She is throwing a very beautiful, elaborate party and she's invited everyone in town. Arthur is her planner and he's done an amazing job. I feel like he's just Sanditon's events planner now and he does a really good job of it and now that she sort of controls her own fortune there's a lot more eyes on her i mean i think any young person with a a large fortune is subject to fortune hunters 
you know what? She's ready to be a responsible young woman with her inheritance. She wants to find her mother. So there's, there's a bit of a flirtation with our new Duke of Buckinghamshire, Henry Montrose, and they encounter each other at the beach and his mom is like, go, go talk to her, go talk to her. And something interesting that we learn about him is, you know, in a moment when Georgiana is like taking a walk alone on the beach just before her birthday, she sees him kissing one of the young male attendants for the sea bathing carts, you know, the ones that like take you into the water and you like bathe kind of in private, but kind of not. So she sees those two guys kissing and she's kind of taken aback for a minute, but she realizes because, you know, she's very, very weary of the fortune hunters now. And so I think it calms her to know that this guy is not like genuinely after her fortune. Like he has other interests. He has other pursuits. They see her see them. You know, he can't lie to her and be like, no, I actually love you. You know, I I think (laughs) she feels safer knowing that she knows a secret of his. Well, he, he visits her the next day or maybe it's the same day, but he's like, what you saw? And she's like, don't worry, like, I'm going to keep it all quiet, but I see where you're coming from. I understand now your situation. You get my situation and I'm dealing with a bunch of suitors. Maybe we could help each other. So that's where she then proposes this arrangement between the two of them. I mean, if it seems like the Duke is in courtship with Georgiana, then she's not going to get all these suitors pursuing her anymore. It's kind of really deter all of them. And for the Duke, it benefits him just because his his mom off his back. His secret remains hidden. And also, yes, his mother is not going to be after him, like continually trying to be like, go talk to her. It looks like they are pursuing each other. For everyone else, and even Arthur Parker is like, are you sure? Are you sure about the Duke? Like, it looks like a legitimate courtship, but. For them, they know it's not true. It just benefits them both for I mean, now. This is the first season of Bridgerton where it's like a little different, but it's like the Duke of Hastings, like mamas keep throwing their daughters at him and yeah. he can't take it. So they kind of, and so Daphne's like alone with him for a minute. That's a huge scandal. So that's where they kind of pretend to uh, pursue one another in order to make her look more desirable and like get everyone off his back. So it's it's kind of a trade-off here. And yeah. so I, I do think it brings Georgiana comfort to know that like he's not going to lie to her and not going to be any romantic feelings between the two of them. And I right. think kind of like Charlotte, where like she's just been burned time after time. She is just sick of getting her heart broken and she wants a practical arrangement where she's not going to get screwed over again. So that's the arrangement between Georgiana and the Duke. So Georgiana is having a great time at her party. She's dancing. She's having the most fun. And then in a dramatic twist, Charles Lockhart returns. He is Georgiana's distant cousin who nearly tricked her into marriage to claim her fortune as his own. And apparently he hasn't given up. He serves her with a writ claiming that he is the rightful heir to the fortune. So Georgiana is going to need to lawyer up to save her fortune. What a bummer. The day that you turn 21 when you've just inherited your fortune to be sued for it back. Shouldn't he have done this before she turned 21? Well, I guess technically she was not in possession of her fortune then. It was like, just kind of hanging there. I don't, that's the thing. I don't know what she's, has she not been living off of her fortune this whole time? Like, what has she been living on? Because she's been living a pretty nice life up until now. Like, what is... Is it like her father set money aside to take care of her until she inherits her fortune? Like, the way I imagine it is your fortune is like locked away in a safe and you're not going to... Like, no one has the key. Maybe Sidney Parker had the key 
but you still can't use it. You know, he's suing her because she has the key now. Yeah, I think so. I just wish the writers would give Georgiana a break. (laughs) She's gone through a lot. I think all the characters go through a lot, but it feels like Georgiana has gone through a lot too. And so this is just yet another obstacle. I really thought that this season was going to be focused on, and I think it will be later on, focused on her finding her mother. But it is now like this other obstacle of, oh, your fortune is at risk. Her independence is at risk. She's been waiting for this day to turn 21 because she could live as an independent woman. But now all of that is in question and she may have to marry she to to maintain a certain life. Like she may have to, I don't know. Like it's it's kind of deters everything she had planned and that's really scary. Especially because women couldn't earn a living. Like you just owned land and you know, that's how you made your living. But like if she gets this taken away, it's not as if there's something else she can do right. to earn the kind of money to support not even just the kind of like life that she's living now, but any kind of decent life. And what do we think of the arrangement between her and the Duke? Because I think to an extent it benefits her more than him. I don't know. Cause like, I think the point for him is that he is supposed to get married, but maybe he doesn't want to. And, and maybe this is the way it benefits them both. I think it's a very practical arrangement. Yeah. I think it is very short term. He's trying to get his mom off of his back. I mean, every time he approaches Georgiana, he's like, sorry, my mom's watching. I'm not trying to bother <laughs> you. Yeah. But like, I need to make it seem like I'm trying to charm you. And I'm, I'm really not. And I think she finds the honesty refreshing. You know, I think both of these girls want to be in love. Yeah. I think they want to have it all. But they've been trying and they've been failing, you know, people keep letting them down. They keep stomping on their hearts. And so in the same way that Charlotte's just like, you know what? I want a normal life and I want stability more than I want the excitement of like a big adventurous life. I think Georgiana feels the same way. You know, the thing about these walls is they can't stay up forever because I think both she and Charlotte are like, but what about there's the possibility of love? There's it's out there. But when it comes to an actual person who's in front of you, why could she trust anyone? Henry is a very excellent short term wall that she can like a shield that she can put up so that no one else tries to get close to her and and she knows he's not going to try and get close to her. He's not going to try and trick her. They can do this like, oh, darling, it's so good to see you thing for a little bit. Speaking of walls, the way we wrap things up with Charlotte and Colburn is that they do see each other at Georgiana's party. And that's when he finds out that she's engaged. I mean, for in a way that is Charlotte's wall to love. You know, she's like, I'm going to use Ralph as a wall to shield myself from all the hurt and pain from the world and use it as a shield to Colburn even. And yes, it is is a surprise to him and Augusta to find out that she's engaged. But then he's like gonna dive into another kind of pursual of another woman so he's kind of like avoiding it but still is interested in her and so there's all these feelings all coming together at this party of all these different conflicts coming together and how is it going to be resolved in this season we'll find out i mean i guess i'm curious to see how georgiana is going to handle her new court date and the trial and and what that means for her and what's going to happen there. And also Charlotte doesn't have a reason to stay in Sanditon. So how much longer can she stall before going back to the boring life that's waiting for her (laughs) back at the farm? I forget where she's from. I mean, she goes back and she gets married. That's it. That's the plan. So as long as she stays in Sanditon, she can be like, oh, not yet sort of thing. So we'll see that how Charlotte decides to drag that out. 
that's it for this episode. Stay tuned for next week when we discuss Sanditon season three, episode two. In the meantime, if you want to follow us on social media or support us on Patreon, you can find us at The Pemberley. And you can email us with any questions or comments at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Bye.